1: They don't want to hear it. They're just like, oh, here we go, Mark. Yeah, Off should, again this with is your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. You tell your whole podcast. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Beneath the veneer of history is a deeper untold story. Maps, photographs, 19th century architecture, and lost antiquated technology seem to reveal a drastic change in the direction of American culture. Could there be a cover-up, or have the reins of power been corrupted by greedy tycoons who have put profit margins before the republic that gave them such a glorious empire of riches? Built on the backs of slaves and immigrants, all Americans whose identities have been slowly eroded in favor of so-called humanist globalism. Old world or not, history is a never ending well of anecdotes and evidence left out of the official history. So let's explore with today's guest, Michelle Gibson from piercingtheveilofillusion.com, where she re examines our forgotten history from a radical point of view, all of which is on the table for discussion today here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Michelle Gibson.
3: to see this this whole th- civilization pop out of the en- environment around me. Megalithic stones just kind of laying around which you find everywhere. And it's all been hidden from us. And and so the Freemasons usurped the legacy of the Moorish Masons. They're not they weren't the builders. So you have the Moorish Masons that were the operational masons. You have the Freemasons that are speculative masons. So I think the Freemasons were the ones that kind of came in and tidied everything up and made everything usable again after what I think was a catacly- cataclysmic event through the grid system. And what they could do was reverse engineer and and, and start to use um, spell casting and other things through the sacred geometry of this grid system.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again on the My Family Thinks some Crazy podcast, and I am thrilled to have today's guest on the show back again after a long, long hiatus for this show. We're happy to have her with us, Michelle Gibson, back on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Michelle, welcome back. Folks have been keeping up with you on piercingtheveilofillusion.com. And uh, many of, of my listeners have recommended that we have you back on the show. So I'm excited to to have you here. How are you today?
3: I'm doing great, Mom. Um, I'm sorry. I'm doing great, Mark. And at least your family thinks you're crazy. My family has no idea what I think. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just not something that I can share with my immediate family, extended family. I can share it with my cyber family, but it's such paradigm-shaking information that it's just too much if you're not open to it or ready for it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I can imagine skirting <laughs> around the the interest is more, you know, easy at, at times cuz yeah, I've I've made the mistake of trying to broach these topics with unfamiliars and they they just look at me like I'm crazy and and those are people in my family. They're just unfamiliar with with the topic, not me. They know I'm, you know, into all this weird stuff, but nope, nope, not interested. But the audience is and I hope that this audience is part of your cyber family. I feel like you're a part of ours and I think that's part of the purpose of this show is to help sort of connect all these what were once disparate unattached theories you know all these brilliant minds out there in this sea contributing to this massive research separately now we can kind of take the separate points and start to thread them together and i think that's a big part of the work you do in recognizing these patterns and exposing the the history that's been lost
3: right and and that's a good point mark because that's how you find it is in the pattern recognition it's not in what's written down yeah. and sadly they did get they got into it everything Mm. and you know even things that were taught to not question Mm. and accept as gospel truth and it's just if it if it could be written down that's where they rewrote history and i'm finding that the the truth i've my my main path has been following cities and places and alignments after finding a sacred geometric pattern in north america I'm going to go ahead and share the screen real quick if I can.
1: Yeah, please do. If
3: you've been for those who have been following my work for a while, you would you would know this. You know, new folks, this is where I got my start after a lifelong interest in hidden history, if you will, long before I consciously became aware of any of the work that I'm doing now. I think I was unconsciously preparing myself um, with what was available at the time, and I just turned sixty this past summer, so that means *Chariot to the Gods* and *In Search of*, and it means Arthur C. Clarke's *Mysterious World* and, uh, and uh, Robert Stack's program about mm. mysteries, mm-hmm. unsolved mysteries, Right. Um, where these these topics would come up, and I I really couldn't get enough of it, but it wasn't wasn't until the internet came along; that more streams of information opened up about this information that was prior to that very tightly controlled, right? And the you know the internet basically saved our butts, yeah, um, because they had a very very strict system of information control that we're still struggling to get away from, yeah, with mainstream media and so forth. But they're no longer able to control the narrative like they were. And this is something I I never did before 2018 whatsoever. I had been studying and doing my own research and, you know, basically getting the information I needed to start putting it together. But as far as blogging and making videos, I was compelled by feeling a strong need to get this back out. So at the very least, people could start making different choices about what we've been told.
1: Yeah, no. So I mean, you
3: can either accept, you know, what has always been said about our history or places or buildings in our communities or rivers or canals or, you know, railroads. You can accept all of that we've been told or you can look at the patterns of the same thing all over the earth.
1: Right, right. Right. And when you see this sort of sacred geometry in such a grand scale, it really makes you wonder how they went about conforming to this pattern. You know, it must have fell along this sort of plan. And I mean, when it comes to this specific work, how do you begin to read between the lines? Because you, you just mentioned earlier how, you know, what's written is often pointing us in the opposite direction of the truth.
3: So, that's another good point because uh, I learned, first of all, I learned about sacred geometry around 2007, 2008, which was when I really, really, really started to wake up. Prior to that, I was interested. I had an awareness. I kind of had a questioning mind and had filed things in the back of my mind. But sacred geometry was part of what gave me the key to put it together. And I look at, at this image on the screen as being a key, as being like, the terminus of the earth's grid system right and by the time i found this i had i'm going to stop sharing for a moment i had learned enough about the ancient civilization from other researchers because by then these kinds of programs and presentations were starting to come online and i found that star tetrahedron in north america in 2016 so let's say between Let's say sometime between 2007 and 2016, I was just getting as much information as I possibly could. And one of those sources of information was Hugh, Hugh Newman's Megalithomania conference. And Hugh is a dowser um, based out of England. And he and several others organized these conferences where they had presenters come in. And a lot of this information's come back from, from dowsers following ley lines. John Mulholland was another teacher for me. And how I learned about sacred sacred geometry was through a Flower of Life workshop and some other of his materials. Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life, Volumes 1 and 2. I read, uh, and that was probably back around 2010, 2011. Right. And so I'm I'm just gathering all this information. And, you know, I stood on the shoulders of people that had gone before me in this. Graham Hancock has another one in fingerprints of the gods and talking about this worldwide civilization, but you know more like a disparate element we see it here, we see it here, we see it here, mystery, who did it and Robert Robert boval and he wrote a book with another man talking about the Orion mystery with the the Giza pyramids lining up with the belt stars of Orion you know in in both Hancock and boval. We're bringing back this knowledge about the Earth being a mirror of Heaven, and that's key. Understanding this original civilization that's just been wiped from our memory, that built everything in different empires, but they weren't at war with each other. They all worked in harmony, and it was all we've taught that they were separate. We were taught we've been taught that Egypt was separate from Israel and on down the line in islam and it was all part of the same system right so you see egyptian things worldwide you see obelisks and sphinxes and you know this monumental architecture pyramids and then you've got israelites being all over the world but the narrative we're given doesn't explain this at all and so when it comes from reading to reading between the lines when i start to do my research and I've, I've got data points that I've written down on spreadsheets of cities and places in alignment all over the Earth. And some are linear and some are circular and, you know, they're all long distance. And then tracking these and some of the earliest research I did was just tracking these places in alignment. And when I did that, I started to see the bigger picture unfold. So the Earth's grid system was was. Uh, crude, critical to understanding the original civilization everything was built along the lines of this sacred geometric grid the controllers that I believe caused a cataclysm through the Earth's grid system and that that's what the sinking of Atlantis was um, came in along the grid lines seized control of everything and star forts and lighthouses and in the new narrative, lighthouses became navigational aids for ships, and star forts became defensive fortifications. And I think originally both were part of this energy system. And a lot of times you hear star forts called batteries, and I think that's what they were. I think they were batteries. I think lighthouses um, distributed light along this system, and, and they, are, they're, they, they are lined up not only with each other, but also with um, the sun and the moon. And you see that with lighthouses, you see that with capital buildings, you see that with the Taj Mahal, you see that with mosques. It's lined up with the full moon or the sun. You know, a great example is Angkor Wat in Cambodia, where the sun goes up the spire. I believe it's a solstice alignment. In the summer and the winter, and it just sits on top of the the spire of the tallest tower at Angkor Wat, and that type of precision is found all over the earth, but that's been removed from our awareness. Instead, we've been it's been replaced with this random narrative. Yeah, <laughs> you know, this guy came along and built, the, you know, bought the property and built this city. This is in North America, and you know, sold the land, and all of a sudden there was a city. It doesn't hold up if you start looking into it. It just yeah. doesn't. I mean, it's not just a case in Manhattan in New, in New York City. It's in other big cities as well, where the street grids line up with the solstice. Manhattan hinge is a good example of that. Wow it does it does not make any sense. But when they controlled the narrative, that's all we had access to.
1: Right. 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 And a lot of the folks you mentioned as inspirations for your work, for worse or for better, I think, you know, a lot of them operate still within this controlled paradigm we're seeing now within the past five or 10 years, people really starting to push this old world conversation to a a further extent. And I think really where it departs from the work of possibly Hancock and Maybe not so much now that he's set his sights on North America, who knows what will come of that in the next five or 10 years, but you know, your work certainly paints this much different picture from what we're given, even by the fringe academics, the guys who, who pushed even those boundaries. And part of my research has gone into the secret history of New England and megaliths are a big part of this secret history and as far as new england goes it seems like it was a pretty rugged place that didn't have many stone structures outside of some of these megaliths calendar chambers and things like that the newport tower is a anomaly for sure but aside from what i just mentioned did you find any examples of old world construction in in on the East Coast, maybe in cities like Boston, New York City, or or even southward into Philly and, and Washington, D.C.? Everywhere. Wow.
3: <laughs> I mean, let's just, since you mentioned Philadelphia, um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen, and I don't have anything pulled up on that specifically, but I just want to, so let's look at Philadelphia waterfront uh, with art museum you know and what they what they give us is you know this again the story of this was built can you see that okay yeah (laughs) on the right hand on this side so this is a view of the Philadelphia art museum up at the top and then you've got all of these neoclassical buildings in front of it it all looks neoclassical it all looks like something you would find in, in what we're told is ancient Greece or Rome Right. And the story is they built it since 1776. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like it doesn't add up. <laughs> you know, literally it does not add up because how are we building monumental architecture like that?
1: Yeah, I've been to this exact <laughs> place, and it is—it's <laughs> stunning. It is stunning stuff. Now, the what is it? What's the river there? The Schuylkill The, the, Del- Schu- the, Schuylkill the River. The
3: Schuylkill River. You're right.
1: Is where all the fraternity and sorority buildings are, and they go along up to the art museum there. So I, I, in my mind, I pictured that this was all you know, campus, you know, building. And yeah, it's just very interesting to think that Philadelphia is much older than we're told. Now, does the architecture itself reveal maybe uh, older than what we're told? Is there any indications that it oh. of age or, or things like that?
3: You know, let's let's see. You know, even if you look at the the stonework. Here, it's kind of hard to see. That's, you know, that looks quite old. Um, but beyond that, it's it's like they're going to call this, let's say, built in the 19th century, sometime. But they're 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 reattributing the architecture as a way of explaining its existence. Another example is what you see at uh, Plymouth Rock. And when you go in there, it's like so many other places where they, they don't want you to look at what's actually there. It's, it's in this same kind of neoclassical structure. So you go in and, and you look at the rock, but it's in this beautiful columned place. But you're looking down. I mean, I was there in, here you go, there's a good picture of it. I was there in 1978, 79, somewhere in there. I went to see the rock. I don't remember that structure. All I remember is looking down. The Plymouth Pilgrim's Monument town looks like that. It's said to have been built as a memorial to honor the pilgrims and it's said to have been based on a like a fifteenth or sixteenth century Italian tower. Hmm. But again they're giving us this architecture okay. <laughs> that was already pre existing. We don't know that. It's not in the narrative. Why should they lie to us? And then they come back and they reattribute everything. The right monument at kitty hawk is kind of the same way the wright brothers monument you know it's just just this incredible structure on actually on top of an earthwork you know why two bicycle repair guys get something like that so that's near kitty hawk the the ames brothers monument in wyoming and these guys are kind of interesting so that kind of looks like a pyramid almost like an obelisk pyramid kind of shape yeah and i i like to refer to the ames brothers a lot because of the ames shovel shop which was supposedly established by their dad in 1803 and the ames shovels provided the opened up the west so why do you need all these shovels to open the west up digging it out kind of thing Mm. and then the ames brothers oliver ames was the president of, I want to say, the Union Pacific Railroad and Oakes Ames's brother, was in Congress and was caught up in the credit mobilier scandal as a congressman where he was selling things related to the railroad and and then it got busted for it. And it's really similar to what's going on today in Congress, you know, with people, with leaders taking advantage of their position to get wealthy yeah. kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, so
3: so Ames, Nebraska is named after him. Ames, Iowa is named after Oaks. Both places are named after Oaks Ames, who, you know, was censured in Congress. And then like on the 10th anniversary in 1873, he was exonerated from whatever he did. And you know, there, there's just so many really strange stories associated with our history that, you know, they needed... <laughs> they had a really flimsy story to hang their new history on. Hmm. But all of this is really solid infrastructure and not easy to build. It's easier to put a date above a door or a building than it is to build one. Right. And that's typically what you see. is right. either engraved or in plaster. And then you get the, the whole thing with it being an I instead of a one on a lot of these dates. So I eight ninety-three instead of one nine eight three, you know, and that's a whole nother area. I'm not as up on, I've seen that and a lot of people talk about the adding a thousand years to history and that kind of thing. You know, so there's a lot of different rabbit holes you can go down.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I guess my my and I, I don't want to call it an issue because I'm open minded to this all being true. I just like to apply my you know rational mind where where i i see fit and with with the case of a lot of buildings on the east coast we have quarries where the stone has come from and i know you can't date stone but you can date something like a quarry right where you can maybe determine how long ago it was used. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm completely off basin and, and stone is just not something we can date. But I wonder if that would help us understand where these buildings came from, if there's some sort of evidence as to where the actual stone came from. I mean, we, we certainly have mines in America that are, you know, anomalous. I mean, the copper mines in the Great Lakes are absolutely unexplained, you know, that so... Along those lines of thinking, I'm not opposed to an advanced civilization being here in America. But where I have trouble is, you know, some of these buildings that we have on the East Coast, I wonder if they couldn't be explained by the industrious nature of the first 100 200 years of this country. I mean, a lot of money went into this country and a lot of resources were exploited in America. You know, all the Native American tribes and their land uh, was exploited and they were pushed off of reservations obviously that could have been a part of rewriting this old world civilization but i i guess i scratch my head and wonder like so is is what we're saying here is that the native americans lived in you know these palatial buildings or were they buried underneath the ground and the native americans had no clue about them like where where do they come into the picture
3: so let's talk about the moors And I believe that the builders of this worldwide civilization are Moorish, and that the word Moor comes from Lemuria. So it goes way back in time to ancient Moo. And you have a people today called the Washington Moors, M U apostrophe U R S, that were the. North America was part of their empire, and then you had Moors and. You know, I'm still trying to work that out, but they were the advanced civilization and a lot of what was built is just, it's just gone. And so, so the, you know, the, the whole narrative is that North, let's use North America as an example, but you could say the same thing for Africa. You could say the same thing for us, for Australia. The original people were, I think, giant, giant stature. And they were the master builders that knew how to build according to sacred geometry and could work with the elements, um, had building techniques that have been lost. The original Masons with Moorish Masons based on Moorish science. Now, this would never have come into my field of awareness, except that I had a Moorish friend when I was in Oklahoma City, which was when I really, really started to wake up to this ancient civilization Only he was part of my journey i learned about who the moors were through my friend at the same time i was starting to see this this whole civilization pop out of the environment around me megalithic stones just kind of laying around which you find everywhere it's all been hidden from us and and so the freemasons Usurped the legacy of the Moorish Masons. They're not, they weren't the builders. So you have the Moorish Masons that were the operational Masons. You have the Freemasons that are speculative Masons. So I think the Freemasons were the ones that kind of came in and tidied everything up and made everything usable again after what I think was a catacly- cataclysmic event through the grid system. And what they could do was, Reverse engineer and 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 start to use um, spell casting and other things through the sacred geometry of this grid system. So they knew how to to use it against humanity, whereas the previous civilization used it for humanity. So the narrative is supposed to be there wasn't anything here, and that just justified the wholesale coming in and claiming everything, and the way that it was done. uh, Corporation, incorporation. Right. Um turning cities and places into corporations, turning human beings into businesses so they could touch us. Which they couldn't before. As as natural sovereign beings, they can't touch us. Well, they had to create a system where they could and then trick us into handing over our power and believing that they have the power and we don't. Right. And I did a pretty in depth piece called the company where i talked about that and that's one more recent recent piece so they came in with their new system their new world their new system claimed everything and the original peoples they just split out and i think there was a lot of social engineering a lot of human engineering were much smaller than we were you know i think there was human engineering with regards to skin color you know so you have white people in Europe, you have black people in Africa, you have yellow people in China, you have red people in America. And I think that was social engineering. And when you look back at old photos of the tribes that were here, they're black. And so, you know, we've just been given a whole new story. And then around 1850, which is when I think the new world order timeline got kicked off, at the Crystal Palace Exhibition in London, you had the Rockefellers heavily involved in the American educational system. They removed critical thinking from the curriculum. They, you know, basically made their education mandatory, compulsory. You have to go to school, you have to learn what they teach you. If you don't, you get in trouble. Everything about the system they've foisted on us, you know, income tax. They snuck it in. Right. And then if you don't pay it, you're in trouble. Right. But then it's going to pay for everything else, but what we think it is well, private, I'm, you know, private corporation. So it's, it's, it's this system that has been designed for control and, and keeping us asleep. Yeah. So that we never wake up and question what's going on. Yeah. But now we're living in a time when it's all coming out. And so you I'm saying if you look into you know first of all with the narrative they tell us, let's get, you know let's use the Civil War as an example. A lot of things that they're telling us on one hand were built around the time of the Civil War. In the same hand, we're riding horses and the medicine is still you know Stone Age, you know where somebody has to like chew on a piece of leather. To have their legs sawed off, you know, just to give some examples, but to narrative. So yeah, we're on one hand we're building these you know colossal m- masonry buildings, and on the other hand we're still riding horses, you know, and living in, in kind of barbaric times when it comes to human relations, Well, like the Civil War, as an example. And and when again, what I'm saying is that it 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 doesn't match. <laughs> what we are taught we were capable of you know that modern technology did not come in until the 20th century with electricity and cars and all that other stuff so i'm I'm just saying that the narrative does not match what we're taught we were capable of
1: yeah i mean There's no arguing that, especially when you look at all the pre-Columbian voyages to America. There's tons of evidence that that whole idea of Columbus was a manufactured agenda by forces, elite forces in Europe. To have a political you know justification for claiming all of this land they they couldn't have other so called uh, political European verified bodies there beforehand, like the Celts and the Scandinavians, because then that would take you know credit away from their l- discovery claim right and that was a whole manufacturing this narrative and it fits really nicely into what you're saying And, and another thing to to put into the conversation is all these out of place artifacts that are found even to your point about technology there have been things that have you know totally thrown the accepted notion of progress of technology out the window. I mean, we're talking about things like the anti machine or even wilder, these stone transformers that were found from dating back millions of years ago in Russia you know clearly showing that ancient man had knowledge of electrical you know devices and how to use them so yeah i'm i'm not opposed at all to this idea that there would be some sort of rewriting of history and and a dumbing down of the population uh, i wonder though You know what sources of information can we trust? If most of what we've been given in America in the English lexicon has been filtered through this uh, Rothschild Rockefeller consortium.
3: Yes, sir. You question the narrative. You don't just accept what you're told, and that's really my message to anybody that is familiar with my work or follows my work. Is what I'm I'm saying is just question look around your own community does the narrative match what, what you've been told does it make sense yeah. you know don't just accept what i'm saying just start looking because the the amount of information is just overwhelming right when you really start looking into it right and before we before we started the recorded portion of this you mentioned peter shampoo yeah and i I'm going to pull up something I did specifically tracking the serpent lay. And one of the series that I undertook was researching places that people had told me to look into. And it was from a viewer that I had learned about the serpent lay where it originates in the Bermuda triangle and goes up through, I I took it as far as like Itasca in Minnesota, but it, it would continue on in both directions. And, and this is how the story has fallen out to me, was by tracking these ley lines. And, you know, for anybody that has any questions, you know, the whole flat Earth sphere thing, I mean, I'm, I'm now landing on the side of the Earth as a plane. And the original map that I found the star tetrahedron on that I showed was a flat map. It wasn't a flat Earth map but it was a flat map and I, I extended those lines out and I'm like, Oh gosh, I want to see where these go. And I couldn't, I couldn't get there. The only way I could get there was to superimpose that shape on top of a globe and then follow the lines out that way and then write down what I found. And whatever they do, there's, there's some kind of consistency because I have gotten so much information in return using that method and it's been confirmed in a lot of different ways and I, I, I do have evidence of that on my, my website here but there's – I would not be sitting here talking to you today, Mark, if I had not gotten all this information back just by – following these places that lined up. Well, and you know, it's just I could have spent a lot of money on getting a computer grid program and not been able to figure out how to use it. <laughs> it's entirely possible. So you know it's definitely eyeballing this, but I I've gotten tremendous information in return. Yeah. And and for anybody that's interested in Peter's work, he's got a website called Geometry of Place. And this guy is like incredible oh yeah
1: (laughs) we've had him on the show three times he's the best i like peter's work
3: so i'm good with my ley lines but this is like a whole new level yeah (laughs) i got some big picture ley lines these kind of you know drill down into the nitty-gritty
1: you know it's it's Um, neat that this is coming up right now because we actually my girlfriend and i moved into an apartment because of some things we learned from peter's shampoo uh, indirectly we learned about a ley line that went through our state and then we just so happened to find an apartment that's pretty near close to one of the ley lines in Peter's book. Not directly on it because I've heard that that's bad, but but yeah, the, the the work he's done is really incredible and it connects to my research into the Ivy League schools and Yale University and their whole control grid of, you know, dumbing down the population and, and creating this sort of elite Class, they're the most, the majority. I think it's there's nine Ivy League schools, seven of them are on Peter Shampoo's ley line, the Empire Ley. And that ley line goes down to Teotihuacan in Mexico. And when you extend it north, it goes through Stonehenge. So, to your point, you know, these connections are really fruitful when you follow through with them. When you tra- tra- trace these lines across the earth, you find more often than not. One place lines up with another place, and I think that's done intentionally. I believe you do as well.
3: Yeah, it was, but it was for good. Right. When the original civilization groomed the electromagnetic energy in this sacred geometric manner that connects with the the celestial grids. Right. You know, we're not in a random universe. (laughs) Everything is way more closely connected than we realized what the controllers did to cabal the illuminati the one percent the secret societies the jesuits the odd fellows the elks the freemasons they they created this new world and when they did that they turned these institutions and these government buildings and these museums and schools into you know grade school junior high high school not just colleges they turned that into a control system banks you see this neoclassical architecture with banks also and and so what was for good was turned into you know something to completely control our lives which we're sitting on the edge of our seats right now watching trying to come in you know with microchips and we want to know where you are we want you in 15 minute cities we want to control every aspect of your lives that's what they want do i think that's going to happen no but i think we came dangerously close to it happening yeah so this this grid system was reverse engineered into a control system right and that's all we've ever known without even knowing it you know when you go into a, a stadium for you know football and the crowds whoo, that's generating energy somebody's harvesting it and i've got some videos work with chad williams and adam Sukalka on my not on my website but on my youtube channel where we talk about that energy harvesting That's batteries you know, we're this tremendous source of energy that we don't even know about.
1: Well, and it seems like the, the grid that was intentionally created to harmonize with our energy bodies and rejuvenate us and uplift us and keep us connected in this collective consciousness type of way. Yeah. As it's being reverse engineered, you know, it's almost like they needed to put us all in the places um, before they could really ramp it up. You know, this whole like, orphan train idea where they populated all these cities that were, um, you know, evacuated in the cataclysm, maybe even submerged underground, hence the shovels that you mentioned earlier. But it seems like this is something that was planned out centuries ahead of time. You know, that's something that I came across when I was first looking into Skull and Bones 10 years ago, my Native American friend and mentor told me that before the Spanish sailed across the ocean, they had a book, he said, they had a book this thick all about the tribes in, in South and North America. He said they didn't come here for the first time knowing nothing. He said they had a whole book about what they were going to find here. And that just put this idea in my head that, oh, they, they don't just do things by accident. They plan things out way ahead of time. right? It
3: was planned out, but I don't believe that we've been under this system for that long. Okay. Well, but what's was planned out? Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's a bit relieving <laughs> knowing that it's, we, a,
3: would, we wouldn't be in this mess that we're in right now if it wasn't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then that's a bit relieving knowing that maybe it's not too late to uh, do something. And I think you have that same sense of optimism. So, What's really important to understand, because when I talk to Peter, a sense that I get from him is he's very much focused on the solutions and how we can use these grids to revitalize the earth when we participate in ceremony in these sort of nexus connection areas where multiple energy centers coalesce.
3: Right. And, and I think we're moving towards that. You know, right now we're in the awakening phase. You know, in order to make big changes, enough of the collective needs to be aware, awake, and say no more. And I don't think we're alone in this. I think there's things in play that when we get through this period of time we're in now, and I think we're closer to the end of it than than we were, that things are going to change dramatically. Mm. But enough not everybody, but enough people need to be aware of this and and coming from a place of love and compassion because that's our higher consciousness is in our hearts. You know, they managed to get us up in our heads and stuck in our lower chakras. So it's survival, it's sex, you know, it's food, it's, it's all of these things. And we're not moving up into our higher consciousness and our higher abilities. Yeah, And, and that's where where we've been controlled and they've gotten rid of the people that were up there and the cultures i mean there's been so much genocide it's just insane still going on
1: yeah that's a big part of this whole conversation too with the moors and the native americans having a much more connected culture to the rest of the world and when the so-called european settlers the colonists the controllers came they simply threw all these people in the same category and said no 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 these people were brought with us they're all from africa clearly look at their skin and 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 they're now enslaved and maybe that was a part of how they broke them from the old society is by you know controlling who they bred with and i mean it's it was a form of genocide in itself slavery
3: yeah and it's still ongoing and we're and we've actually all been
1: enslaved right (laughs) we've all been enslaved well and yeah that's the big thing that we touch on on this show is the slaves of the 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 chains have just become mental rather than physical
3: and you know the birth certificates being traded on on the stock exchange for money that's loaned to the government based on our years of work. You know that's what a debt slave is. It's not our own personal debt. It's that we've been the collateral for the the country's debt. It's it was just a it was just a story where the where the whole social order was flipped upside down. The high became the low, and then and then they were just subjugated and brutalized beyond comprehension and and then you know this new population that orphan trains and you know <laughs> the inventorium babies for those that are familiar with about 40 or 50 years of babies neonatal babies being displayed at sideshows yeah um, places like Coney Island and World's fairs and things like that You know, why, Um, you know, onto the things that are coming out today, which are difficult to talk about. I don't even want to talk about it, but with child trafficking and and human trafficking, you know, kids being shipped by Wayfair and Bali and Sega or whatever it's called. You know, it's been going on industrial scale child trafficking Yeah. to whom and why. And that's the dirty underbelly of this whole thing. (laughs) <laughs> they're not even you know they're not humans but they 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 need and want human energy whatever form
1: well and this kind of connects back to the the freemasons in, in a way and you know we've had whole other separate conversations about who might be controlling the freemasons what deity they may be worshiping in in mm-hmm. secret and They're just one of many secret societies. But when it comes to the serpent lay, one concept that I tend to agree with is that there was this brotherhood of the serpents, right? And we see this in all these different cultures, this serpent symbolism. Some authors write about how they were a benevolent sort of knowledge-bringing force. Other authors write about how they were extraterrestrials. Some writers say that they were, you know, basically like insidious and had this sort of catches that came with the gifts that they give, but does any of that connect at all to this serpent lay? Am I just uh, kind of using word association here or?
3: So everything was inverted
1: Mm -hmm.
3: and demonized. So in our system, the serpent is evil. Right. In the garden. But serpent energy is what Kundalini is described as. This being serpents at the base of the spine, that's when it's activated, crosses through the Vertebra, of the spine, and connects up here, and then there's wings up at the top. You know, our higher selves, and and so this conceptualization of creation energy being, you know, two serpents that interweave is part of our our legacy, and is part of how creation works. And it's 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 just been turned inside out. Um, one of my early um, books I read, I guess it was around 2013, 2014, was by Gary Biltcliffe. And he's a dowser. He and his partner, Carolyn, doused the Bolinas line, starting at the Isle of Wight and going up to... The bottom of England and going up to Fred Head at the tip of Scotland. And it's a straight line, and they doused a male energy line and a female energy line that crisscrossed over 33 nodal points along the length of, of Britain, the spine of Britain. And the book is called The Spine of Albion. And I had taken a trip to England with the acquaintance of mine in 2010. And this is before I woke up to this, um, so I didn't find out about Gary's work until several several years after this trip. But when I did find out about his work and read his book, I realized I had spent a great deal of that trip on that line, and I feel like I have a connection to the Earth Grid, just somehow, some soul connection or whatever, which has probably opened me up to a lot of things that wouldn't be otherwise and and so it's energy and so you know my understanding is that the energy is neutral the energy itself it's energy so it's with intent that you get the really positive effects or the really negative effects and so this is a really good example i started out with work that i had done from earlier when somebody had suggested it and i had already went along the alignment but when i went back and did it with about two or three years of experience i found a lot more stuff and that's what's happening to me now it's like i'm going back and adding to original work and it's taken me forever to get through it because i'm seeing things differently now and that and that includes giant trees wow. and so i'm going back and i'm <laughs> finding that too um, so this part of it starts in the Bermuda Triangle and I, I tracked it uh, Peter's work and um, there's just a lot of really anomalous things along this way and, and bear with me it's a lot of information so there's the largest domestic television and movie production studio outside of California on this alignment in Wilmington
1: Carolina, you mean?
3: For example, yeah, in, in Wilmington, North Carolina.
1: Outside of Hollywood is the largest. <laughs> oh, okay, outside of California. I hear what you're saying. California. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs>
3: like, Oh, wow, that's interesting. And yeah, that's yeah. where um, Brandon Lee died.
1: Oh, wow.
3: I'm going to go into it some more in some other places, but kind of around the coast, you kind of see some areas underwater. Um, And I do think there was a lot of sinking of land. We've been given a whole bunch of books about ice ages, you know, natural causes explaining Earth's history, you know, principles of geology between 1830 and 1833, presenting the idea that earth was shaped by the same natural process that are still operating today at similar intensities um, and a proponent of uniform, uniformitarianism as opposed to, catastrophism so we're we're getting all of this literature in place to explain how all these things happened gradually over time right right, include ice ages and and i believe this catastrophism created
1: right (laughs) right yeah (laughs) at least
3: what i'm you know what what is there to see well
1: this this Um, meshes well with what i've learned where a lot of these clearly man-made stone structures are explained away by geologists as glacial erratics and they say oh no man didn't create this a glacier went and put a 30 ton boulder on top of four smaller boulders and aligned it with the stars and all that other stuff so i agree with you on that whole you know uh, reading in between the lines with geology they've done you know many things to cloud our understanding of the natural world all right, now's the point in the episode where we take a quick break for the ads. If you would like to listen to every episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast ad free, go over to the Patreon or the Substack where you get a bonus RSS feed that you can plug right into whatever app you're using to listen to this podcast. You don't get any ads and you get bonus episodes for supporters only. You help support this show so we can continue putting out three episodes a week We'll be right back at it. Coming soon, folks. Coming soon. But if you haven't noticed already, we've put out some excellent episodes since our 2024 extravaganza and almost a six hour episode. And we had uh, the great Phil from Exploring with Phil on the show. Of course, then Douglas Preston. And if you support the show, you get a whole bonus hour of that conversation. So don't miss out. And uh, yeah.
0: visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Right. And I probably talk about that example in
3: this. I talk about a lot of things, but everywhere else they are called dolmens. Right. <laughs> and everywhere. I mean, and they're all over the, the world. Right. So again, I, I would encourage if for those that are interested, just please go look through this. I've got way too much information that I can, that I can possibly talk about. But as Sarah it's documented. I
1: include a lot of detail. So Cape, Cape Fear lines up with this serpent ley line. In Cape Fear, there was a pretty big UFO encounter that occurred in Cape Fear as well. And people have often synced up UFOs and ley lines. This they seem to correlate mm-hmm. with each other.
3: I think so, and I think also flight pla- flight paths do also. Mm.
1: So now this is this it, is is this one of the lighthouses you mentioned before the Cape here Cape Fear Light here.
3: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stories that are told along with these lighthouses. uh, uh so, this one was supposed to have been built in 1903 to replace the bald headlight, light, but it was demolished because it was believed that the deactivated lighthouse would confuse mariners if it was left standing. This is what the narrative says. So, the Fresnel light of, of this lighthouse was given to the demolition contractor. It ended up in an antique store and was sold off in pieces. The old Baldy Foundation decided it wanted it back. And so in 2009, they acquired what was left of it with plans to restore and display it. So this was the Fresno lens that was said to have been in the Cape Fear Lighthouse. And it was at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo. And I've done a lot of work on on these World's Fairs and Expositions expositions exhibitions and to me they
1: were retro (laughs) yeah basically saying oh don't worry about this this has all been explained and you'll never see it again now you mentioned this before how the lighthouses were in a sort of corresponding relationship with the star fort batteries which (laughs) That name is certainly not by accident battery well what what was the Fresnel lens? was this a way of like harnessing the energy from the star fort and then maybe redistributing it into the atmosphere how how, how do these lighthouse work in that old world? Uh, I think
3: something like that. So it would have been at the top and you know just incredible workmanship. I just put this into a, something I'm working on. This is in Turkey the Tertugrace like lighthouse captured with that kind of effect, which I find very interesting.
1: Well, and, and it, then, it, it's similar to what we're, we're told the the pyramid once did when it was covered in white stones and had its proper gold capstone. It, it, it magnified the sun at noon and made it look like there was a beam of light coming down from the sun to the earth. And that was a big reason why the that area was so sacred and and spiritual i mean this huge white light in the desert oh wow you have the mayan uh, the mayan pyramid doing the same thing for the audio listeners wow and that's uh, that's in cloudy conditions wow yeah so
3: there's there's if you if you type in beam of light from pyramid you get some different images but you definitely have images (laughs) one in mexico And I've seen others as well.
1: Right, right. And they're calling Um, it a iPhone glitch, but I doubt that, especially considering that the beam goes through the cloud. That's incredible. Wow.
3: Yeah, there's, you know, they don't want us to know this stuff. Right. right. So they're going to cover it up. And, you know, there's so many things that are called hoaxes. So you've got giant skeletons that are called hoaxes. You've got crop circles that are called hoaxes hoaxes that are just incredibly sophisticated yeah <laughs> it's like uh. and i found crop circles along the circle lay too wow um so you've got places like the old baldy lighthouse which is a massive stone tower that looks like a you know looks like a lighthouse and then you've got what's called the sulfur springs water tower in tampa florida that also looks like a lighthouse but it's a water tower and if you read about it it says there was an elevator inside of it And why? Why have an elevator inside a water tower? You know, and the whole story that goes along with it. And I think it's likely for sure with the water tower in Tampa and possibly with these other places, they were like airship docking stations. Right. And I've done some research on that. I think other people have as well. So I'm, I'm getting into this because I want to show talk about the swamps for one thing swamps and dunes so you've got the green swamp in north carolina uh, along this alignment the venus flytrap is found within it and it's like the only part of the world where it exists in this area around wilmington and um you got a lot of around lakes in the landscape called the bay lakes and what's interesting about the bay lakes which are described as elliptical or circular depressions found along the east coast of the u.s. in a northwest to southeast orientation but they're in other places and and they tend to fall along the same lines (laughs) and these are just things that i found when i was looking around and then they have explanations kind of like the glacial erratics um things like subsurface limestone deposits that gave way to sinkholes, giant schools of fish that excavated the depressions on the ocean floor for spawning <laughs> when oceans covered the land meteorites striking the surface of the earth
1: had to be natural some huge circular fish.
3: depressions <laughs> elongated by prevailing winds and water that they don't know it's a mystery <laughs> wow I just got some other places. So, I look at Wacomal Lake that has a history of a rail line going through it. So you can see the railroad tracks. Well, and and There's we lots of-
1: we you know make lakes. Nowadays, right by damming rivers, could this be evidence of like a very advanced, you know, landscape engineering where they were creating a, a circular wa- body of water for a energetic purpose? It, it, maybe it served higher function. Is that kind of along the lines that you're going, or or is there maybe a even a wilder explanation for these lakes?
3: No, I, I think it had a hydrological purpose. Right, these these lakes. And I gave examples of places with circular depressions. You know, so I'm saying I'm kind of speeding up through some of these things. But Bacalar Lake in in the Yucatan is one of the deepest cenotes there. Mm-hmm. That's believed to be 295 feet or 90 meters deep. Wow. Um, and then other cenotes in the Yucatan. And then I found a, a, a circular crater up in northern Canada.
1: There's a really interesting it, one in, in Quebec that looks like an eyeball. I, you can see it from space. It's like a circular lake with a island in the center of it.
3: Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, and off the top of my head, I can't pull it. This one's in northern Quebec, and it's called Pingoulet, but it's not the same one you're talking about.
1: And it's a perfect the circle. Same, the one you're talking
3: about <laughs> is like a, it's like a dam.
1: Yeah, the one I'm talking about I, is not as uh, interesting in the sense that it, it's not... A perfect circle. What you're showing me here is like, I mean, it's almost a, an exact circle.
3: Yeah, I, I can't think of the name of it, but if you if you Google, you know, Damon Quebec, it should show up. Yeah, the way that you described it.
1: Yeah, you could, I mean, if you just hover Google Earth over Quebec, you'll see it. It's massive. But but yeah, yeah, this is really fascinating. I had never, I've heard of the Carolina Bays and how there's a, a mystery about how they were formed. But I didn't realize that it was this widespread, you know, as it often is.
3: So you've got the Plain of Jars and Laos, which I also think was related to water and hydrology. And I saw this very first time ever on Arthur C. Clark's mysterious world. So, you know, that's kind of how far back some of this stuff goes for me. I'm like,
1: wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I <didn't> want answers. <laughs> when I was like 14. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: um,
3: the plane of jars was heavily bombed by the U S air force operating against the North Vietnamese during the Vietnam war. And, It was said to have dropped, the Air Force was said to have dropped more bombs on the plane of Jars than it dropped during the entirety of World War II. Really? You know, again, why? I mean, who even knew there were, you know, bombing runs in Laos during Vietnam?
1: Yeah, and they were definitely in there to get opium. You know, there's the whole Golden Triangle there, and they were secretly in Laos. But oftentimes, I've seen this come up in many different campaigns, in many different time periods... You have military battles taking place where there are also ancient anomalies, mysterious events, and also, you know, these sort of mysterious artifacts. I mean, geez, the fact that they dropped more bombs on this one area than they did in the entirety of World War II says a lot about, you know, if they were trying to cover something up, yeah, that that'd be a pretty clear indication of it.
3: And our modern wars seem to have been as much about the destruction of this original grid and civilization as anything else, right and financed by the same Rockefellers and Rothschilds. So yeah they were trying to what they can't use they don't want to exist, right. and that includes us,
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> that includes human beings as we know them. So again, looking at old maps are very interesting. Again, you've got the, the train tracks going through here. And again, the the narrator wants us to believe this is here forever. And they built the train tracks through this swamp. And this is just one example. I'm saying the train tracks were built by the original civilization. And the streetcars and the subways, everything that has been reattributed to modern times already existed and was part of the free energy grid system. And again, I'm just going to scoot sp- sp- through this because there's a lot of information in here. This is squashing it down. is like, Ding! you know, again, it's a mystery like Wacomaw, a lake of unknown origin, a geological mystery, hmm. like the lost tribes of Israel.
1: And wh- how does this swamp? And
3: other, other missing things?
1: How does this swamp play into this? Cause you mentioned swamps earlier. And I don't know that we got a, uh explanation on that Does that also add a level of intrigue to this is there something about the swamp
3: i i believe that these swamps were created by this cataclysm right and that land sunk land sheared off deserts were created and building in this country was actually going in and resettling it and getting right. everything working this disaster capitalism
1: you know. that we see happen even in the modern times with you know recently maui and you know hurricane katrina and even in wars right they go and blow a bunch of stuff up and then their companies come in and get paid to build it all back up again
3: and that's part of it and part of it was and we'll get into this along this alignment again it was like just a wealth of information just Tracking this, so I, I encourage people if they're interested, just uh, check this out on my website or on my YouTube channel. You find this is a DuPont chemical plant on this alignment mm-hmm. that's been the land has been contaminated, and the Duponts were at the very beginning of this um, with the the Louisiana purchase, and the the chemical company was started in around 1802, which was the same time as Louisiana Lewis and Clark expedition and the Ames shovel shop. I mean, this seemed to be like around the time this really got kicked off. Yeah. So I think the Crystal Palace exposition, which was opened by Queen Victoria in 1851, was like, we're here. (laughs) I think the time period between around 1800 and 1850 was when they were just going out and getting everything, all the everything laid out for this new system. Mm. And so there's military bases along through here, disasters. It had a really bad crash back in 1994 when two military aircraft collided midair over this airfield mm. on the alignment. A lot of airborne soldiers were killed. 24 were killed on the ground and 100 injured as a result of this these two planes colliding
0: wow
3: again i think things happen on these alignments to just lower our vibration this is also where a killing occurred there was a soldier that killed his family that was fort bragg which is now called fort victory and so you've got those kinds of things happening you have the research triangle throughout it's not directly on the alignment but it's close by and then you have all of these high tech companies that are many of which are into agricultural technology, um, like Bear, and Bear became Monsa- Monsanto became Bear. Right. It was bought by Bear and just sucked up. So you don't hear Monsanto anymore, but you but Bear is continuing to do this work. So they're on the alignment or close to it, and they're doing they're they're doing things that on these alignments that would have originally been done again to benefit life so they're they're testing and they're growing these gmo crops on on the alignment and before um there's information about how this things were bigger and grew faster in connection with megaliths that were in alignment
1: yeah this is something that again is another aspect of my research the big reason why you have all these stone structures around the dolmens as you pointed out but it's not just dolmens there are standing stones and rock walls uh john burke in his book stone Stone of of knowledge A stone of plenty, seed of knowledge. Yes, thank you. He points out how there's this whole electromagnetic effect, this charging effect on the seeds. And when I was speaking with my friend Dr. Narco Longo down in Florida and his old world investigation led him to find Stories of orange trees that were massive compared to what we see now. Other plants that, you know, grew like pumpkins the size of tractors. I mean, things that we just don't hear about today were commonplace back then. And yeah, obviously the ag, big ag chem companies are mechanized death you know it's 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 completely a offshoot of the military industrial complex has no incentive uh, of life it's all about death and and greed and it's it's a sad state of affairs the the way people grow food
3: i found the world's largest cashew tree in brazil following an alignment wow you know again these are how i know even though you know the way that i arrived in it may have been kind of You know, eyeballing it manual, once I found the star tetrahedron, I'm still getting good information back. Right. And and that's just another example. I mean, you know, star forts all over the place, you know, hitting the only land on an alignment in the ocean, (laughs) like Ascension Island in the middle of the Atlantic. You know, it's just, I've gotten confirmation back in a lot of different ways that it's, it's, you know, there's something to this. So, Again, following Peter's alignment, going up through Ashboro, North Carolina, and here's where you're getting into how the resources were harvested, whether it's lumber or coal or, or um, iron, different places, different things along the way. So you've got the lumber barons coming in to North Carolina. You know, supposedly they were behind the construction of the first known the railroad of the Aberdeen and Ashborough railroad in 1897 to facilitate their logging activities. So they restarted the railroad so they could get their natural resources moved around. Tar Heels was, was supposedly the name given to people who worked with turpentine on the docks uh, and they got, would get tar from all of this on the soles of their shoes from the trees The whole civil war seemed to be have a lot to do with railroads. And again, we're talking civil war and all of this track was supposed to have been laid. Sometime, you know, between 1800 and 1860, they're laying down all this railroad track is what they want us to believe. But what kind of technology did we have during that time that explains this? And important civil war battles in North Carolina had to do with railroad locations. Mm. So I've got that on a map here. Again, the, the architecture, the courthouses, everywhere is this old world style architecture. And, and then this place, Asheboro, becomes a textile production center um, of hosiery and clothing and other things. And so this whole area is, becomes a mill area. And this that story continues all the way up this alignment. Furniture. And then you kind of get into possible evidence of giants. And so you've got a large scale replica of what's said to have been a Duncan Fife armchair that was built at nine, in nineteen fifty as a gimmick at the Thomasville Furniture Industries. It's called the large, the Big Chair. And it was said to have been built in nineteen twenty two, but torn down in nineteen thirty six because the pine had worn down. And so they guess they made another one. And that the base of the chair sits on Indiana limestone. And you were asking about quarries and things. It's kind of interesting. Um, So we're told that Indiana limestone was the limestone used in the construction of much of the nation's monumental architecture of of the late 19th and early 20th century. And again, you have these huge buildings that look like ancient Greece or Rome, according to our narrative. So here on the right, we have the Tennessee War Memorial in Nashville looking humongous with columns and everything. So you've got the McKim meat and white architectural firm all over. And as I remember, they were responsible for the Pilgrim, not the tall one, but the Plymouth Rock. This was attributed to this firm.
2: Hmm. Uh,
3: So when I was looking around for information on the big chair, I found the big bureau and the reason given for its construction as a counterpunch from a neighboring community to the big chair. (laughs) And it was said to have been a building that was built to serve as a welcome center for the high point furniture industry. Um, But after 70 years of wear and tear, uh, another designer came in and made a new dresser. Again, these are the stories that are around it. In past research, I found a giant chair in Anacostia in Washington, D.C., sitting on the street corner. Same idea. It was built as a gimmick by one of the furniture companies. But then you hear about these giants in North America, in America, and, you know, just asking the question, could it be the furniture of actual giants? There's a giant frying pan in Long Beach, Washington. And then there was one that was unearthed in Indonesia. So just a lot of questions, triads. Again, you know, the idea that this was a geometric system. And found out about Plank Roads, which is kind of interesting, makes you wonder. The plank road boom that lasted in the United States from 1844 to the mid 1850s with more than 10,000 miles or 16,000 kilometers of plank roads built across the country. Um, And then when you look at pictures of it, just look up plank road and look up images and you'll see tons of images of these plank roads crossing deserts (laughs) with dunes and maybe they're railroad tracks. I mean, kind of looking in retrospect, that might be what they were. But it's kind of interesting to think about. So this whole area, this whole part of the country developed into mill country and factory uh, company towns. And, you know, I was talking earlier about how we're all slaves. So this is a really good example. And my personal experience with this whole idea is that my mother's grandparents were from mecklenburg county north carolina outside of charlotte and i have a ton of cousins there that worked in the mills and they were textile mills my grandmother's dad and stepmother or her mother but it was like his second wife moved to florida in around 1920 sometime my grandmother married an orange grower and actually had a better life than a lot of her cousins so i'm I, i'm like that close to the mills i never experienced it but it's certainly in my family and a lot of people i'm sure can say the same thing so what were these company towns like there was one main employer That owned practically everything in the town. Which included stores, houses, churches, schools, and recreational facilities. Um, So we're heading into Appalachia. Which is known for its coal mines and other mines. The people in these towns were pretty much dependent on the one company for everything. They had a job for life. But they weren't paid very much. And the company got it all back. Because they owned everything. So like in the mills in the in the mill stores instead of being paid cash they'd be paid tokens that they could only use in a particular store and so this is how this whole you know wage slavery thing came in With the example of Appalachia it's one of the poorest regions in the United States and it's believed that the cycle of poverty came directly as a result of this company based system because the railroad coal, lumber, and banking barons from early on controlled the capitalistic economic system that came into form in this region. But it's it's not just Appalachia. It's up and down, as I found out as I was doing the research for this. So in return for a 16-hour workday, they got paid, they got boarding, and they got subsistence farming. And, you know, what kind of life is that? So again, you're, you're working hard.
1: Well, and it's also an ideal population of people to have in a country where such a great reset could take place, right? You have the majority of people in this wage slave working class that they're, for the most part, only literate enough to accomplish their you know daily tasks. And not much more than that, it's only been in the past 100 years that, you know, the public education system gave and libraries gave, you know, the average person access to all this information again, questionable information because it's all coming out of this push to restructure this control paradigm. And I mean, when you think, when you start to think of American history, less of as like a experiment and a series of accidents and more of a, as a planned sort of, agenda, with goals, it starts to make more sense. You know, I, I think people give the the people of our past too much of a, a benefit of, it, of the doubt, you know.
3: And again, they were in a structured educational system that just wanted them to be able to read, write, and do arithmetic. They didn't want them to think. <laughs> you know, right. critical thinking was not encouraged. Like I said, it was removed early on. And... Those students that did ask questions were not rewarded. So, you know, don't say anything.
1: And the people that that did read and write and and had some level of freedom were so uh, attached to this system because of the, you know, the wealthy, right, who were writing a lot of the material. Their incentive was to contribute to that system that they were earning off of, not question it. Right. So a lot of the literature from that time period is Inherently propaganda in that sense of of looking at it,
3: right? And that's kind of going back to if it's in writing, <laughs> just, right? Just, just something to be aware of. Um, more big chairs at this university, High Point College. Um, more triangles. Wake Forest University is on the alignment. You've got a big bell tower there. That would be this one at the Great Chapel.
1: Now that I think about it, there's there's a big chair in Mesquamacit, Rhode Island. (laughs) I remember visiting.
3: Just asking questions.
1: Right. (laughs) Now bells are are part of this sort of old world situation, right? Can we get into bells and because one thing that I came across in my research at in New Haven, they have uh, on Yale's campus a carillon tower. It's one of the first coronal-shaped towers, like a crown-shaped tower ever built in America. And it has this huge carillon in it, you know, this bell instrument. I think a carillon technically is like multiple bells, like almost yeah, like it's a, a it's piano an of bells.
3: It's like a bell, bell instrument. Right. And I found a number of carillon's bell towers on the alignment this was the first one in wake forest and then i brought in the example of the ones at the the ames camp Isle. so remember i talked about mm-hmm. oaks ames <laughs> same ames <laughs> because it's in ames iowa which was named for him um and this guy was a crook congressman so I found one there. I think these these bell towers were part of the grid system. It was part of this perfectly tuned musical and scientific instrument. And they, they played a functions. And so my way of thinking is these big, tall bell towers were just sending these frequencies out to the universe. So there's just this, Earth was just this calming, healing, harmonizing place. And again, when the system crashed, a lot was taken down and it was just mistuned. So frequency is very powerful, but we're hearing frequencies that are designed to keep our consciousness in a lower state. Mm. So anyway, and this is just an example of, you've got, this is in Iowa, this particular window in Iowa And so the the organ's right up against it. So those organ sounds would be going out through that window. And when you look at the shapes of certain piano notes and the shapes of cathedral rose windows, you can find matches in there. So it would seem like these windows were given some kind of form and structure to the musical notes from the organ. And that the current musical scale is not tuned into the solfeggio frequencies and the results of that, of going from like 432 hertz, which is solfeggio, to 440 hertz, which became the accepted hertz, that it, it negatively affected our thinking skills right, and our the emotional standard, states. The,
1: the tuning standard, yeah. And then just visually, you look at the difference between those two hertz patterns and the one on the left, 432, it looks like the sun. I mean, it looks organic. It looks like it It fits holistically into our universe, whereas the other one just looks like a blob. I mean, it's like it's totally I mean, it's almost formless.
3: It looks, definitely looks blobbish. yeah you know and then talking about giant trees we get to pilot mountain and it's called a quartzite monadnock and other places that are called a monadnock are devil's tower in wyoming this place in norway hartigen and karura in australia and you know what a a big tree looks like in today's world you know, and that whole idea that these are actually places like devil's tower are actually a gigantic tree stump. And you've got a picture here of Jagirtha Tableland in Tunisia, which looks like one with the rings on the top and the devil's tower has the rings on the top in this shot. And then this volcano in Yemen, which is actually, it's, it's in Yemen. Let me see if I can find the name of it. I, I, I thought it was the horror of Abharha because that was the the original name that I saw, but it's it's in a city called Damam D A M M, D A M M A M, H A D T. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's in Yemen. So there, I guess there is a couple of them. And I
1: don't talking right to now. someone from Yemen today, yep. my buddy, at the gas station, and his his brothers are all from Yemen.
3: Yemen's just a beautiful place, and it's just gotten trashed. Ethiopia—I mean, that whole part of the world is hurting really badly, and it's a very special, very special place. Well, and
1: and it's a big part of this Moorish connection too, right? Unless uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that the you know the Islamic Renaissance as were given from you know traditional history. You know, that may have been a way of covering up this Moorish, yeah. you know, expansion across the world. I mean, they were clearly able to make it all the way to Indonesia and, you know, they traveled on these ships. So why couldn't have they, they gone further into the Caribbean? You know, it's just it's the yeah, same it's, distance in the other direction.
3: Yeah, there's there's so much missing <laughs> let me go to my last one i'm I'm looking for this because i just want to have if anybody wants to go back and check out the the volcano that looks like a tree stump and i'm, I'm doing research on a different alignment of one that i found i did this first five years ago and now i'm going back looking at the same places and it's taken me forever to get through because i've got a lot to add to it but one of the things is the giant trees and that's a huge part of our story that's missing. Right.
1: Yeah. And I I
3: wasn't, I wasn't there until March and now I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's such a huge part of our story.
1: Yeah.
3: I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it in a hurry.
1: Yeah. No, no Anyway,
3: There's this this tree stump looking volcano in Yemen. Okay. I'm going to give that up because I got a lot more to show you. Okay. So, monad so i said those were called monad nox the monad is a word in philosophy that's used to represent the absolute so like the supreme being divinity and the totality of all things so i think there's a very likely possibility that these giant trees were like a direct connection to the creator and to source energy right and bringing that to earth and part of the grid system
1: These world trees of life that maybe were destroyed to, you know, disconnect us from the creator, you know, by these nefarious fallen ones that we hear about.
3: Makes sense to me. Yeah. So, again, I talk a lot about many, many different things in tracking this alignment. I think I want to fast forward to Gary, Indiana. Okay. Though this is an image of the Appalachians from space, and this is what a you know tree trunk system looks like on the earth. Right. You know, so there's definitely some intriguing things out there to think about. I want to talk about Gary because Gary is a magic city. And it's on the southern shore of Lake Michigan.
1: And we, we would be going past the Serpent Mound too, right? Once we're in Gary, I, that's well w- with relation to the line we've been following. We've gone right. through I'm, the Carolinas. I'm fast forwarding a
3: lot. Then yeah, this this, ca- this, car- this Carolinas in Dayton, Ohio, which oh, wow. was Miami country. Right. Talk a lot about that. And the Miamisburg Mound is a lot like Silbury Hill in Great Britain. And... Like Silbury Hill, there's a lot of crop circle activity around the Miami'sburg Mound and the Serpent Mound. So that's all in here. I I went through um, all that stuff because the most known is Serpent Mound. A lot of people are aware of that, and that was on this alignment. Right. You've got the whole thing with insane asylums. <laughs> I found one here that's known for paranormal activity. Mm,
1: The Randolph County uh... Infirmary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Gary, Indiana now is essentially a a ghost town itself, right? I mean, majority of the buildings there are, are abandoned.
3: So again, there's a lot of information I'm scrolling through. That's really interesting. But I'm talking about swamps being created. I'm talking about deserts and dunes being created, so, up on the shore of Lake Michigan, you have the both the Indiana Dunes National Park and the Indiana Dunes State Park. And that's just to the east of Gary. And you also have another swamp in that area. So, you saw the green swamp back in North Carolina. The black swamp is here. And you have iron mining up in here. So, we had coal and logging further southeast on this alignment. Now we're getting into iron. But the working conditions are the same. Terrible. And don't you dare strike. You go on strike, you're going to have strike breakers come in from the military or private detectives. It's going to be put down. You can't strike during this time period. So Gary was called a magic city it's named after Albert Henry Gary, who was one of the founders of U.S. Steel, along with J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, and Charles Schwab. And so in 1906, the location of what became Gary, um, which is about 25 miles or so east of Chicago, was a wasteland of drifting sand and patches of scrub oak. No one lived there when there was no agricultural value to the land just happened to be that there were three or four railroads passing through the area and the Grand Calumet River wound its way around sand dunes to get to Lake Michigan so in spite of the horrible conditions they're still building railroads through there they want us to believe in June of 1906 the first shovel full of sand was turned for the creation of the new steel town of Gary and they had laborers housed in tents and shacks and they were digging trenches as very little work was being done above ground And then by two years later, the city of Gary had taken on shape and form. And so it was called a magic city, having been transformed from sand dunes in record time. So it was established to be a company town for U.S. steel, and it became the home to the largest steel mill complex in the world. And its operation started in June of 1908, only two years after they started digging up this place. So I was talking about strikes. It was the site of one of the steel strikes of 1919 when the American Federation of Labor was trying to organize a labor union in U.S. steel. And when the riot riot broke out in Gary in October of 1919, steel breakers were brought in. And then several days later, the Indiana governor declared martial law and brought in 4,000 federal troops to restore order commanded by Major General Leonard Wood. For anybody that's ever been in the Army, that's one of the locations of basic training, not too far from Chicago, I don't think. And the strike had collapsed by January of 1920. And U.S. Steel successfully opposed unionization efforts at that time, and it would be many years before unionization efforts started again in the steel industry.
1: This this photo you have there, is that multiple different languages like translated underneath? It says go back to work. Does it say that in multiple languages? It, yeah, it does. Is that because they had a lot of non-English speakers coming in to work like in these places Were there like a lot of immigrants or
3: I I would think so. Wow. That's a good catch.
1: Well, because, and, and, and again, going along these lines, like, that's the type of population you would want to place in a a, a a new area that, well, in a created area that you want to create a new history for. You you put a bunch of people who don't speak the, the language. Obviously, the Native Americans, you know, they started learning French and, and English and whatnot. But, yeah, I wonder if that played into it at all with this whole reset i
3: I think it did yeah i think it did much the same as what's going on now um with immigrants coming in right encouraged to come in allowed to come in so u.s steel is still the largest employer in gary and it's still a major steel producer but the workforce is significantly reduced there's been a lot of competition from overseas over the years and gary's been in decline for years and so much of the city's abandoned like you were saying so up in record time by 1908 and then by you know 100 years later it's in pretty sad shape so you know the whole system is to uphold the the robber barons up at the top you know laboring on all of everybody's backs uh, one more thing I want to share with you is something that came up on my feed like a few minutes before I signed on to the call. And, you know, that's basically, you know, you see a, a kangaroo hopping across water. And, you know, to me, the takeaway from that is that there's hard surface just right underneath the water. And and, and that's what I'm seeing with a lot of of these places that are swamps and marshes and estuaries that the land just sunk and there's something underneath it. And with these places with dunes, um, you have, you know, pr- vertical structures in the desert that they, let me get the sound off on that, <laughs> that they have, uh, dune buggies is what's coming to mind. But anyway, they've had these ATVs, you know, rolling around in the desert on these structures that are holding them up so there's something underneath the sand of dunes everywhere Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and i don't think that happened over time i think all of that is the result of one event um that just went all the way through the grid system and created the landscape that we live in and we're taught this whole story about it right and I, again, I get back to the question of the narrative. Absolutely. And, and we have been, you know, we have been lied to. And the thing that's really hard to get your head around is how much mm. we've been lied to.
1: Mm. Yeah, I didn't- you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you and you already answered it thoroughly is were some examples of some places where you can find evidence for this. And just on that one ley line, you were able to find all these different instances of cases of places that don't quite add up. I mean, you know, all it takes is a little bit of rational sense to go about looking at these things and ask yourself, how, how did they build it? How could they have done that? and is it really true and you know i think more often than not you find yourself falling on that last question and saying no i don't think what they've told us is true and yeah michelle you've you've done a, a lot to share that with us here today now with gary indiana are there any other indications that This was a sort of a work, like, were there any groups directly involved that you were able to, was it like maybe people in the railroad or Freemasons associated with those groups, maybe in the state of Indiana?
3: Yeah, I mean, no doubt. And the big names that are associated that we've been seeing along the line. And so in Gary, it was the founders of U.S. Steel and, you know, Carnegie and, Elwood Gary, or whatever his name is, and right. Charles Schwab, um, the DuPonts, um, they're all in it. Right. And they've just raped and pillaged and everything else all along the way. That's all they care about. Well, there's probably more to it than that, but, you know, they've just gotten wealthier and wealthier. You know, and and humanity's on the bottom of the pyramid, going, oh, you know, wow, I got paid, <laughs> I've got a roof over my head, I can go to the movies or the ball game or go out to a restaurant, and you know, with no idea about how much has been taken of the true legacy of humanity by by these robber barons and thieves, and it still goes on today.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's
3: a big story and I'm doing my best to try to put it together. Um, because the deeper I go down in the rabbit hole, I'm more convinced of what I'm saying, but I'm saying something completely different. And I, I, you know, I do have to put together the rationale for why I'm even saying that because it's like, what
1: (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) You got, you have a lot of data laid out on your website and yeah, I don't blame you. You know, it's a lot of work. You know, I think that the audience a big part of my learning experience with this podcast is that my audience has taught me so much and, you know, I hope that people listening can check out your website and then use that to maybe figure out what's going on directly around them. You know, you and I are just two people, we can only research so much, but when we start, you know, Empowering people to do the, their own research, I think that can unlock a, a whole wave. So, on that note, do you have any advice uh, aside from obviously, you know, pattern recognition, being able to sort of read between the lines? Uh, any other sort of skills or, or tactics you've gained through this uh, journey of yours?
3: I would say, yeah, in terms of things that I've learned along the way. And, like yourself, I've learned a lot from my community. Uh, viewers that leave comments and so my work started tracking those cities and places in alignment that i showed um more information fell out from that and then i would follow up on places that viewers suggested and more information fell out from that and that's how i found peter's work like i said and more information fell out from that you know so it's just be open and you know, you kind of have to be willing to let go of everything you've ever learned to start to get the truth in and, you know, just be open to what presents the stories that we've been told are very flimsy. They part, they fall apart on close scrutiny. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> And
3: so, you know, it's just a willingness to do that. And instead of, of saying that, well, I think the Nashville Parthenon was built in the 1870s like they said because that's what i was told and then when you look at the national parthenon it's in better shape than the parthenon in athens (laughs) you know things like that because i actually had that conversation with somebody once no you're kidding no it was built in the 1870s (laughs) and there used to be a pyramid beside it Um, There's a Knights of Pythias building not too far from there. Some Confederate general was the architect that designed it. You know, they were going to tear everything down, but they decided to keep it and they reinforced it. You know, things like that. Wow. Just just because they told us doesn't mean it's true.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, the Parthenon is definitely a stunning example of Midwestern classical architecture. And yeah, you have to wonder, you know, Barry fell in his book, America, BC found tons of evidence for Mesopotamian and Mediterranean cultures existing in the South of the United States. He's found all sorts of, you know, evidence for those cultures being here. And I think what we're doing is we're, we're learning that, History really needs to be reexamined, and I think there needs to be a more composite understanding where it wasn't this separate sort of thing where all of the you know the this type of person came from here, this type of person came from here, and they up until two hundred years ago nobody left their countries. You know, I think that's just nonsense. You know, people have been traveling around the the entire attainable distance you know whether you you're flat or or globe i like to you know just skirt that argument completely and just talk about the actual land that we're on and i think people have been exploring it at great length and distance for much longer than we've been told way beyond the age of discovery so yeah, when they landed, why wouldn't they build some cool stuff, right? I mean, this is this is what humans do whenever we, we make it to a new land. We leave our mark, right?
3: You know, and not everybody is coming to the same conclusions, but I think everybody that's trying to do the work of revealing what's been hidden, however they're guided to do that, because this is how I'm guided. Mm. I'm guided by the ley lines and you know, looking all over the earth and, you know, putting together what I'm seeing. And I'm not guided by the shape of the earth, though I've come to different opinions because of my other research. But my passion is what I'm sharing with you today. I love going and looking at these places. And, you know, it's like I said, it's it's like it's getting bigger and bigger because I've had over five years of experience doing this now. right? And, you know, just seems like with every new thing I learn, it goes even deeper. You know, somebody else is going to come from it, from their passion and, you know, different approach, different theory. But everybody doing this work, everybody. And there's, you know, there's this whole army <laughs> on YouTube, especially of people that are like myself that are doing this for the very first time. And I'm, like, I've been doing it since 2018, but I didn't do this before then. And I did it because I felt like I needed to get it back out. And I still feel that way. Yeah, And I have so much work to do. There's no end in sight. <laughs> so, you know, every effort that's made by whoever's guided to do this or motivated to do this is, is contributing to this whole big gigantic puzzle we have of information that's just been removed from our awareness.
1: Yeah 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 and on that note what what are you immediately setting your sights on next what can we look forward to
3: you know it's gonna be gonna be interesting my main focus is is doing the research for the blog posts and making the videos and so that's where most of my my energy goes um I'm going to be going on a trip to the balkans as a crew member in may that's oldworldtours.com and so that's going to be about th- a three-week trip almost three weeks and I've, I've got a to-do list that's really long <laughs> that's it. and you know people are welcome to send me things if you want me to look at or if you want to don't set up a talk, like you were saying. There's way too much for one person, and so I've started to do more of that. Is people that say, "Hey, I've got, I want to talk to you about this and do a presentation." I've got two up recently on my channel that are like that. So, you know, it's a big, big job, but everybody has things they can offer, and you know, if somebody's interested in that, they can leave a comment on my, on one of my videos or send me an
1: email. All right on. Well, your, your website is linked in the description. So folks, please follow up. You can find all the information we discussed today, Trekking the Serpent Lay. And I'm going to mention that in the intro so that people can follow along with that post as we go through the conversation. This was definitely a more of a visual episode, but, but yeah, I'm excited to put this out and to dive further into my own geographical explorations. I think that's a common interest that we both share. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, when you start to explore, you really, you know, I think maps hold more secrets than, books do in that sense you know and yeah maps have been edited but i'm not necessarily talking about the maps you see on google earth i'm talking about the map you make when you visit an area the map you make when you talk to people about a place and you really start to explore you know that process is where a lot can be uncovered so with that folks happy trails exploring this esoteric america and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was our conversation with Michelle Gibson. Go over to our website. The link is in the description. And man, I am so looking forward to 2024. More excellent conversations ahead of us. This conversation took place in 2023, but moving forward, uh, it's all going to be 2024. That was the last episode from uh, my bank of episodes to be published from 2023, so look forward to that. We've got tons of great guests scheduled to be on the show, Uh, fingers crossed, of course, and I will be talking to some excellent people very soon, so more information to come. On that front. And if you support the show on Patreon or Substack, not only do you not hear any of the ads, but you also get extensions to each episode when I can. Not every episode I'm able to have the guests for more than two hours, but when I do, I take the episode and I cut it at about an hour and 30 minutes where it's appropriate. Then I splice in that end part where we ask the guests to tell us where they can find them and such. And then you get this, the outro. So if you want to hear the entire conversation, the full conversation, you want to hear every last bit that you missed out on in these past 20, 30 episodes since I've been doing this, go over to the Patreon. You don't just get that. You get bonus episodes from the from the archive that are not available for free, all sorts of great stuff there, even a full episode with the great Chris Knowles that is not available to anybody unless you support the show so go and do that and of course here's some more ads we've got some great sponsors a new sponsor brothers broadleaf sent me a box of paxton pearl blunt wraps if you know anything about me you know i like to smoke weed i like to smoke backwards and uh you know, I'm not going to trash backwoods because I like backwoods, but every now and then you get a, a stale pack. And I heard that Brothers Broadleaf guaranteed fresh wraps every time. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take you guys up on this. Send me a box and I will talk about you on my podcast. And they did not disappoint. They sent me a whole box. And the first pack I opened up, it was great. Not the same, I'll say, as a backwoods entirely but it was just as good if not better in some ways and there's no glues or dyes or any sort of flavoring so you know you're getting a organic smoke it's just the tobacco leaf and water so yeah definitely check out brothers broadleaf if you're a smoker and while you're at it pick up a hit kit the number one way to get lit my man garrett's making all the gadgets for you potheads and stoners like me keeping your lighter right where it should be instead of leaving it behind on the ground. How many times I've gotten out of my car at a gas station or some parking lot somewhere and my lighter goes flying off of my lap into the parking lot, sometimes I don't even hear it and my lighter's just gone forever. So not anymore with the Hit Kit. I've got a ton of Hit Kits and you can use the promo code CRAZY to save at checkout to get yourself a Hit Kit. Garrett recently... Came out with the new jaywalker, which is like a neat little belt clip that goes right on your belt. Perfect for all you boomers who just started smoking weed now that it's legal. Anyways, use the promo code CRAZY. And one last sponsor. Shout out to my man Isaac Lazell, the man behind Oregonite. You can go to Oregonite on Instagram to find out more about his Organite products that he makes and you can even get a custom order just use the promo code mftic and you will save at checkout and you also help support the show that way i get uh, a kickback from all of the uh, sales that go through with that affiliate code so make sure you use that and of course uh, the same is true with the hit kit hit kit.us and oregon.ite on instagram he's also got a website So go and check that out. The links are in the description. And that is all for me, folks. Of course, if you don't want to hear ads or sponsors, go over to the Patreon. Go over to the Substack. Our goal is to get 250 patrons. And it was to get it by 2024. We're not quite there yet. Although we do have a bunch of free members on the Patreon, they don't count. So when you go over to the Patreon, if you see how many patrons we have, and you're like, oh, we already reached the goal. No, we haven't. We're still about 40 people away, so go and sign up right now, whoever you are listening. You're one of the people. I know it. Today's the day. You change your mind or you say, you know what, I got $5 I can set aside a month to support this podcast that I love listening to and also avoid listening to all these ads. And that's the way it is for now. If we ever get to more than 800 supporters on Patreon or 500 is some big number maybe yeah 500 and I'll consider taking the ads off for everybody but uh, who knows maybe that'll take changing the format of the show uh, the higher side chats has a great model no agenda has a great model but those shows have been out longer than I have and they've also reached a much larger audience so I'm still growing still making my way there And I got bills to pay, so if I want to dedicate as much time as I can to this show and put as much research in as I can so that the parts of the episode that you do like are as good as they can be, uh, well, then that means ads. So, sorry about that. If you have to listen to ads and you, you just hate it, I think most people don't mind. Pretty much all the podcasts I listen to have ads as far as whether it's comedy, even conspiracy and the ones that don't are few and far between and have been doing podcasting since, you know, podcasting was kind of an underground thing and there really wasn't the option to do ads. So, yeah, uh, that being said, it's what we're doing. And if you don't like it, well, support on Patreon or Substack. And that's the way it is, folks. And until next time, immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now.
2: M.F.T.I.C will uh-huh. Yeah Broadcasting the moon matrix from the lunar surface They want you confused like you never knew your purpose Hopping through the portals, dismantling the machine My family thinks I'm crazy, I can't believe what I've seen Memories of a war, the Pleiadians and Anunnaki Stuck within the genes of a copy of a human body DNA fractal, the universe within me Epiphanies of science is hoarded by the Illuminati Puppet masters No, the power of the mantra Repeating mad lies till it has an effect on you Subliminal messages, hijacking Perception, tricking the population with holographic projections We see through it, and the system is unraveling I'm astral traveling through the library of the Vatican On a sacred journey, I embark with the squad for spit spitting truth like Mark on the pod Gotta know the facts, never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap Dissect the fabric of reality, looking for the answers. Searching through the galaxy, you might be feeling stressed out. Depression, anxiety is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. You don't even know how powerful you are the ones who gonna expose the whole facade. I awoke in a deep underground military base. Zero recollection of how I got to this place. Alien corpses floating in glass cylinders. Must have been extracted when they crashed into us. Animal hybrids contained in the cages. A lion with the eagle head. Monkeys with reptilian bases. Losing my mind and I'm feeling desperate. I look around the room and I see no sign of an exit. All of a sudden the wall flickers awake. Revealing a hangar full of spacecraft. My ghetto I wait. I run to the nearest one See a guard knock him out, rob him for his plasma gun Hop in the ship, take the controls They highly intuitive, I figure it out easily Lift off, accelerate through a tunnel Until I see the light fly into the sky Get flanked by six F-35. got never hold back Cause I ain't getting caught up in the soul trap I dissect the fabric of reality Looking for the answers Searching through the galaxy You might be feeling stressed out Depression, anxiety, is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society You don't even know how powerful you are We the ones who gonna expose the whole facade